We've had wonderful music already. We've welcomed new members into our church community. We've heard a story this morning for the kids, which I don't know how it is for you, but I heard this story for the children earlier this week as Lauren was writing it, and it has stuck with me. Somehow that image of the cat with his one claw extended, slicing through the sacred circle rug of preschool, that has stuck in my mind. Now it may be just that I'm the mom of a preschooler, but I'll tell you, those rugs are something special. Whether they're the shape of a circle or a square or a triangle or whatever it is, they have a power and a symbolism, those rugs do. They're supposed to be, and I think they can be, a symbol of all that is good and right about preschool, about having to work it out, about letting go of our own personal space sometimes and our own ideas, about working with fairness. There's so much captured in that rug and that image. And I'll have to tell you, when I heard the story the first time, like I said, I was screaming in my head when that cat's claw came out. In my head, I was screaming, no, you can't cut the rug. It's the last thing you can do. And I noticed both my visceral reaction to the destruction of the rug as I knew it, but then as the story progressed, I also noticed how it was an undeniable success, the slicing up of this rug. It got me thinking, and it got me doing a little bit of reading as well. I turned to an article that a friend had sent me, a recent article by Bell Hooks, the author and professor. And in this article, she reminded me, she reminded all of us, I think, that when we are faced with a problem, we always have at least three possible options. With these options, she said, we can either choose to lean in, to make room for ourselves, to push forward, to take our space in some ways as those spirituals allowed people to do. We can lean in and make room for ourselves. That's option number one. Option number two is we can lean back and make room intentionally for others, for other voices, for other wisdom, other creativity. And then there's option three. We can look at the system, declare that it is broken and we want no part of it, and step away altogether, and in faith, create something new, something powerful we couldn't imagine when things began. When I think of that story from this morning, I think Mr. Aardvark there in that classroom, he chose to step away altogether from what was a broken system. He stepped back all the way, and together, he with his class imagined something new. This imagining, it takes creativity. It takes a sense of possibility, and I think, too, it takes faith. Because there's that moment of fear, right? When the cat's claw comes out to cut up the rug, there's that, what is going to happen? There's a risk, but there's possibility, too. And I think to move forward in that moment, to cut up that rug and to move away from the broken system, it takes faith. It absolutely takes faith that something new, something better might be created in that moment. 
This week, I've been hearing, and I'm sure you have too, the stories about Nelson Mandela and his life, the stories about South Africa and its history. These stories have been moving me deeply as I hear them again and again. And I have been moved tremendously by Nelson Mandela's ability to step out of a system of domination, to step out and say with faith, there will be, there can be, a new way. In a land where black South Africans had been oppressed for generations, Mandela had a vision of something different. He didn't only want for the laws to change. He didn't only want for the treatment of black South Africans to change. He wanted, too, for the white folks there to realize the ways that the racism they had been a part of, that they were a part of, he wanted for them to know how it was hurting them too. He didn't want a new system where just one group where the blacks would come up and oppress the whites. He did not want that. He wanted a world, a country of harmony and of equality. And he wanted a place where folks were able to listen deeply to one another. A place where people were able to reflect on their own part in things. A place of reconciliation and healing and truth. He, in so many ways, stepped back from the broken system, from the table that had been set for him, where it would be one group dominating another, and he, with all those who worked with him, created a new way. Now, in so many ways, though, Nelson Mandela is a hero. He's put a bit on a pedestal. He is an icon, a person, as President Obama said this week, who accomplished more in a lifetime than any person can dare to expect to accomplish. He's a person, Nelson Mandela is, he's a person that inspires me, but also his story is so big sometimes that I wonder, could I ever be anything like this man? This man who went into prison and stayed there for 27 years, who was in a cell where he couldn't reach his arms out without touching the walls. A man who slept on the floor, on the cement floor for more than a dozen years and somehow emerged with forgiveness and tenderness and creativity and imagination still alive in his heart. His heart that still beat for the ideal of equality and justice. I don't know that that is something I could do, but it's something I hope for in myself. As I've been listening to the stories about Nelson Mandela's life, I've listened too to the folks who served there in prison with him. One of his fellow prisoners, a Jewish man who had worked alongside him for justice, said this in an interview. He said, when you're in the freedom struggle, you walk around all the time wondering, what will I do when the moment comes? What will I do when the moment comes? I heard this phrase, I heard this voice, I've been hearing it in my head this week, this question, what will I do when the moment comes? And I've been thinking about the idea of the moment the singular big moment. And I've been thinking a lot about all of the smaller moments, the everyday moments that make up our lives, the smaller choices we make that bring us to the big moments that prepare us 
for those in our hearts and in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I often forget about how important those small moments can be. One of my favorite spiritual teachers, Sharon Salzberg, who's a Buddhist author and scholar, she says that the primary spiritual practice is starting over. The primary spiritual practice is starting over. We get opportunities each and every day in the moments that are small or big to start over, to lift up our eyes and to pay attention, to see the important turning in the road, to see the outstretched hand, the aching heart. These moments come every day, many, many times a day, opportunities to begin again with love, to notice ourselves and each other. I think each moment offers us the opportunity to practice, to live, to love, to remember the three options that got put before us. Those options of leaning in, of making space for ourselves, of taking more room for our voice. The option of leaning back, that other voices might fully come into the room, into the circle. The option of stepping away from a broken system altogether, that with creativity and joy, we might imagine something new in faith. And I'll tell you, I don't always remember these three options. I don't remember always that I can start over when I am on my own. So often I get stuck in my own daily life. It gave me great comfort to find Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman's piece where he admits to having a smallness of vision from time to time where he says, you know what, I sometimes get trapped in my daily routines because I think if a spiritual icon like that sometimes gets stuck in his life, well, maybe it's okay that I do too. But I love, love that he wrote a meditation for himself and for all of us that calls himself and us out of that smallness, that narrowness of vision that reminds us we can lift up our eyes and start again. I remember through his words, I remember most often through my presence here in this church community with all of you, whether it's in worship or in our community circles, whether it's from your Facebook posts or conversations I have with you, I remember who it is that I want to be and how I want to be in this world. You all inspire me. I think we do this for each other. We remember and we look up and start over. Now this winter, I think most of you know, we have embarked on a project, an ambitious project that we were calling the house that love built. This house is a house we're going to build with Habitat for Humanity. We've committed to raising $60,000 by the end of the holiday season that we might be the primary financial sponsor on this house. We've asked each other to look at our holiday spending and to make some changes there if we are able, that we might give generously to this project. We've asked each other to open our hands a bit to relax our grip on the way things have always been, on the way we expect things to go, to open up and begin to imagine a new possibility. 
And I don't know if you have been able to see all of what is happening from where you are in the congregation, but I'll tell you, from my view, it has been astonishing to see what is going on here. I've been a part of a similar project at a different congregation, and we raised a ton of money, and it was awesome. But I'll tell you, what I am seeing here is an opening and a creativity I have not seen before. I am seeing you come up with amazing ideas of how to raise money for this project. We raised almost $1,000 selling chutney. Holy cow! (laughs) This is unbelievable. There's yarn for sale downstairs in the social hall. There have been wreaths for sale. People are coming up with all kinds of ideas. There's a gorgeous quilt down there up for auction that I'm secretly hoping someone will buy and then give to the family that's going to get the house that Love built. That's my secret not-so-secret hope (laughs) of what might happen this weekend. But what I love about this project is it is busting open our ideas. You are getting creative, and it is powerful. Last week, three siblings, three children from this congregation came forward with their allowance, their donation of $12.05. And each of these gifts... Each of these gifts, when pooled together, is going to do something amazing. It's going to build a house. And of course, of course, it is not all about the money here. Part of what I have been loving about this project is that we will then get to work building the house starting this spring. I absolutely love it that our sign-up days, our work days for Habitat for Humanity recently have been oversubscribed. We've had more volunteers than we've needed for those days. We're looking ahead. So many of us are already committing to taking a look at the system as a whole that is broken. Why are people in need of these Habitat for Humanity houses to begin with? And so many of you will go with our housing team, with me, to the Habitat for Humanity Day on the Hill of Advocacy on April 8th. We are busting things open. This is what is so powerful and important. So I'll tell you two seconds of details. Many of you who are on our mailing list will be, okay, more than two seconds, two seconds, two minutes. Bear with me. Many of you who are on our mailing list will get a letter in the next few days that has a return envelope in it. It's a colored envelope. We ask you to bring that back on December 22nd with your gift. For folks who don't receive that in the mail, those envelopes will be available here at church, a place to include your gift, to bring it forward on the 22nd. It will be a day of joy and celebration and stories for kids and adults alike. If you can't be here that day, you can give online, you can mail it in. Together, we have about $38,000 to go on this project, and I have no doubt that we will get there. It is my deepest hope that this House That Love Built project, that our stories, that our creativity, that the stories that we are hearing of lives that demand justice, whether they are big icons or the everyday heroes that exist in our lives, that these stories might inspire us, that we might lift up our eyes and take up the spiritual practice of starting over again and again, of imagining a new way, be it with our holidays or our day-to-day life. I hope we might lift up our eyes and start over again and again. May it be so.
and Amen.